Dad Poet Society. Trigger warning, mentions of suicide, addiction, and other sensitive topics. I don't even remember how we start. Um, hey guys, it's Lily. Hey, it's Anna. And, and this welcome is... to... Nope. <laughs> okay. Hi, I'm Anna. And this is Lily. And welcome to... Dead, Dead Dad, Dad Poet Society. Society. Um, Once so... again, we're apart, so the delay is in... <laughs> is 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 happening one day maybe not but also maybe one day Anna won't be in the bathroom of an airbnb and have her voice gone because she just went to the heiress tour and had 40 dollar tickets which i've never heard of that in my life yeah so i'm in australia um i got here like late january and i've been staying with friends pretty much the entire time i was in perth my friend and i drove from perth to Melbourne in Melbourne we just got to Sydney last night um and my friends are still sleeping and it's only one room so I'm in the bathroom of the Airbnb to record this podcast and yeah my voice is completely gone I had a really busy weekend um yeah we got very last minute tickets to night three hours to our Melbourne we were behind the stage but it was still magical and wonderful um and also and I have lots of right now <laughs> And I don't have a mic right now because it's not working, so I'm just doing my AirPods, so I'm sorry if the quality isn't as good as normal. Um, I had a lot of dead dad moments at Eras, um, and it was great. So then I'm home right now. I had Monday and Tuesday off for some reason, and then, like, two of my classes were canceled, so I just, like, am home for the whole week, and I'm going to New York on Friday. And also, I wanted to be home for, like, the one year of it all. Um it's been kind of awful lately, so... And I don't go to bereavement group anymore because I can't fucking stand the chaplain. <laughs> I need friends with dead dads. You have a friend with a dead dad, and I need one. I do have a friend with a dead dad. I don't want Shout my friend's to... dads to die, but I would like to maybe no, make a friend true. whose dad has already died. Yeah, that's kind of what happened to me. Um, My dead dad friend, he went to high school with me, but we didn't really know each other that well in high school. And then we saw each other at reunion and found out both of our dads had died. So now I have a friend to talk about dead dad stuff with. So we don't have any any Greg words prepared for today. Um, we have to do like a we have to do like a lunch note soon, something that's happier. Um, yeah, but have we explained why we're specifically coming back on this day? Oh, so yeah, I mean, I'm sure you guys have missed us. Um, and we're back because it's our dad's it's been one year since our dad died as of tomorrow so that's today for you right yeah it's today for me wow yeah yeah and like we've wanted to record but it's been like a really crazy time but I think after this we'll be able to do more consistently because I'm gonna be home pretty soon and once I'm home it should be weekly as normal yeah um, so we both have some stuff that we that we want to share, but before we get started, maybe we can do a little bit of Yahoo News Corner. Sure. Um, I mean, for me, what's been on top of my timeline All and of our Yahoo timeline. News is the Super Bowl, most watched Super Bowl in history and most watched U.S. programming since the moon landing and the Davis of it all um the crazy win watching it live I was so anxious but 
actually like a really fun game at the end, even though the first half sucked. Um, I personally didn't really care that much about the Super Bowl. I went to my friend's house and like watched it and then I got bored um, and left. But yeah, I'm like happy for them. I mean, Taylor Swift is getting, I cannot believe she announced her album at the Grammys. Also, she won album of the year, which is just like happy for her. Um, kind of crazy though. And also announcing her album. Everyone is so sick of her. I'm like, ah, and I think that her next album is going to deserve a whatever. No one cares. <laughs> Well, I think that, you know, I didn't think, I think there are four other albums that I felt were more deserving of album of the year, whatever, that's how the Grammys work. Um, but I do think her announcing her album is kind of whatever, because like Beyonce announced her album at the Super Bowl, people just be announcing their albums. Like, it's like, I actually, but yeah, I mean, I'm excited to see what it is, as always. You guys know we're Swifties in the People sense. were like hating like her bringing Lana up on stage and like calling her a mean girl and like people just honestly I like can't have conversations with people about and honestly it's good because people starting to hate Taylor Swift is good for us because like everyone being obsessed with Taylor Swift is actually making me like <laughs> bless you tickets are so expensive and it's impossible to literally get anything um so obviously there won't be another taylor swift is over party but like we don't need all of these randoms at theirs for No, exactly. Like, I was at the eras, and I, we got these really last-minute tickets, so you'd assume everyone who was, like, on waiting for those really wanted them, but we were, like, the only people in our entire, entire section who knew the words, who were up dancing, we got a lot of looks. Some people weren't even singing along to, like, You Belong With Me and Shake It Off. Like, some people really didn't know anything, and I think they were just there because it's, like, fun to be at a Taylor Swift concert right now, but I miss... Lily and I went to the Reputation Tour. We got the tickets day of, floor, super close, for less than $100 each. That's simply not possible anymore. So I actually need everyone who hated her to go back to hating her so that I could once again, like, be able to do my little Taylor Swift stuff in peace. And that's my right, wish. Right. I also, oh, another thing is that I now, I don't know if it's, like, culturally appropriate to speculate on um, celebrities' drug use. However, I saw a thing that was talking about how, like, chronic Lyme disease which by the way if you didn't know chronic Lyme is not a thing it's not real so like there's Lyme disease that you get from like ticks and like that can have lasting effects chronic Lyme these people think that it's not from ticks it's from not really sure um but basically it's always been like it's like Bella Hadid and Justin Bieber and all these people and with Bella Hadid I think it's like an eating disorder now the newest one is Ariana and I am so convinced that she is on meth or something is going on with her like <laughs> also okay oh uh, i think that drug use and eating disorders can have similar yeah. like effects from outsiders me and when so... i took me when i took five milligrams of adderall to, since i i now am taking adderall um an adderall prescription like super rarely um just like for when i really need it because i do have add but i also have awful anxiety but i took five milligrams of adderall today and i was like i don't want to eat anything and then my friend takes 30 milligrams of like short release Adderall a day and I'm like we are different because Adderall is meth like Adderall is literally meth it's, it's oh, yes there's what one there's a molecule difference but um oh, yeah. yeah I mean the thing is at the end of the day whether it's an eating disorder whether it's drug use whether it's like intense chronic stress when I was at my most anxious and depressed I lost a significant amount of weight in two months but, but remember how I was like really ill like I was throwing up every day 
And so it's like different things have stress in your body, but it's not chronic Lyme is the thing. Yeah. It's at the end of the day, it's not chronic Lyme, but I also her and her, I don't know. Maybe it's just that everyone, eh, whatever. Maybe you ruining a marriage. Yeah. Maybe ruining marriage is a lot of stress on a person. I don't know. I really, she really pisses me off. Like that whole situation is really still pissing me off. One of my, yeah. I was talking to someone, one of my friends, and she was like, oh, like the wife's not British. And I was like, no. And she's like, oh, I, I empathize with her now. I thought that she was British and I, I didn't really care. But now that I know that she's not British, I feel bad for her. <laughs> and I'm really confused. I, I think, that, I guess she doesn't have a lot of empathy for British people or maybe, I don't really know. But I was like, I was really astounded by that. And it felt, um. There's been certain there's been certain nights at hostels where I'm like I have no empathy for the British, but yeah. I will not let those people. <laughs> yeah, we're not gonna um, let that make no. us generalize all the time. Sometimes, maybe. Actually, some of my favorite favorite friends in the world are British. That's so true. I love them. Oh, and wait, so I'm, I am going to New. This is super random. I don't know why I'm bringing this up, but I am going to New York this weekend, and I am staying with my dad's best friend's daughter. Did I tell you about this, Anne? So true. You yeah. mentioned it, but it was actually happening. Yeah. So Sam, shout out Sam. I, she definitely does not listen to this podcast, but she goes to NYU now. And so I'm going to go stay with her. We were close when I was little, but I, we have not hung out in a while. But yeah, I just want to like stay close to the people like from my dad's I know. life. And I mean, Bob is like when I told the story about um, after my dad died, like I had, I had brunch with him the morning after and he took me to the airport to go home um and he's always we love bob yeah he's the best so future guest of the pod future guest of the pod for real um but yeah so today we're just gonna do a little retrospective talk about how we're feeling i have a few passages from a few books that i feel like really summarize some of the feelings i've been having about grief and um yeah, I think Anna has. Yeah, I have like a, I, Lily has passages from books. I have something I wrote. Basically, um, in the immediate aftermath of my dad's death, I was laying on the floor of the Singapore airport for 12 hours and writing like self-indulgent Tumblr poetry in my notes app. And it's really embarrassing. And I'm like, I feel it half like I feel like I don't want to read it. But also it's kind of about how I imagined the grief process going. And I think it's kind of interesting to look back on um, and see like what my thoughts were on how it would be now. Yeah. Um, oh. So I can, I this, this, this first one is just very much like about time passing in yeah. regards to grief. And that's something that Anna and I have talked a lot about a little bit on the pod, but also just in our conversations with one another. Um, so this passage is from um, The Year of Magical Thinking by Joan Didion, which is just like, it's a very famous memoir about her her husband's passing and her daughter's illness. And then her daughter died pretty soon after her husband died. Um, and her husband was kind of like, you know, he was her husband and he was her partner, but he also was like her intellectual um, equal. And he edited everything she wrote and um, read everything she wrote. So some of the things she said about that were also just really, really relatable to me. Um, and unlike what we do with my dad's writing, where we like really analyze it and go line by line, I'm probably just going to read 
Yeah, no, that, that makes that makes a lot more sense. Okay, so she says, I realize this is at the end of the book, by the way. I realize as I write this that I do not want to finish this account, nor did I want to finish this year. The craziness is receding, but no clarity is taking its place. I look for resolution and find none. I did not want to finish the year because I know that as the days pass, as January becomes February and February becomes summer, certain things will happen. My image of John at the instant, oh, I should have said before, John is her husband. My image of John at the instant of his death will become less immediate, less raw. It will become something that happened in another year. My sense of John himself, John alive, will become more remote, even mudgy, softened, transmuted into whatever best serves my life without him. In fact, this is already beginning to happen. All year, I have been keeping time by last year's calendar. What were we doing on this day last year? Where did we have dinner? Is it the day a year ago we flew to Honolulu after Quintana's wedding? Is it the day a year ago we flew back from Paris? Is it the day? I realized today for the first time that my memory of this day a year ago is a memory that does not involve John. This day a year ago was December 31st, 2003. John did not see this day a year ago. John was dead. I was crossing Lexington Avenue when this occurred to me. I know why we try to keep the dead alive. We try to keep them alive in order to keep them with us. Yeah, so. Oh, um, now I'm crying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I feel that really strongly. Um, I also has spent a lot of time like I'll look back and be like what did we text this day what happened this day and that's literally I think I said really something really similar to my friends yesterday where I was like this is the last day that a year ago my dad was alive and I literally I think that's just like such a relatable concept in grief to think about like soon it's going to be more than a year soon it's going to be years and years and I said well now it's been a year since I talked to my dad and I'm going to have to do that every single year for the rest of my life and that's something I think about a lot like it's like a lot of it's just like getting through it and you like do your best but then the rest of your life is also getting through it like it never stops it can make it easier but it hasn't gone easier for me at all. It's gone worse. And it's never going to stop. It's just something you have forever. I think it's also like really scary feeling like, and I hear people talk about this a lot in grief, but feeling like you're, you don't remember this person as clearly. And as time passes, the less clear that image of them will become. And I said this to my mom the other day, but like, my dad will only be someone that I knew for the first like 20 something years, 20 years of my life. I'll be 50 hopefully one day and I'll only have known my dad the first 20 years and I'll have lived the majority of my life without him. You know, right now we've only been missing him for a certain amount of time, but eventually like he'll only have taken up that small portion so it's like forgetting him and also just looking out. Hopefully we live another whatever, 100 years, 80 years. Yeah. But 
it's also kind of daunting knowing that you're gonna live those next 80 years without your parent no and there's just like so many things there's always so much more to learn about people yeah and then his brother dying his brother dying and not being able to learn that stuff about him yeah i know i think that was like something that really i think i was feeling okay with the grief and then my uncle brian died and then i was like wow okay that's kind of the end of that um i think it's hard to like have a lack of like context and history and I think that's why his writing and letters are so important to us because that's kind of where we can get new information and even if it's not always information we want to know and add new context to him and kind of like keep up a dialogue with him in a way like if you read something new but from him that you've never read before it's like you're still getting in moments with him and information but that, yeah. it's like I have I, 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 I find myself, a lot of it is, like, his oily head, like, remembering certain parts of him. <laughs> his oily head with his little, like, his little sprouts of bald hair. Yeah. And, like, yeah, his skin and his eyebrows. And just, like, remembering yeah. those. It's, like, because I'll see pictures and I could even probably see videos, but, like, it's, like, the up-close how someone looks really up close, how someone feels like that stuff that, uh, and memory is something that I struggle. Like, I don't, you know? Yeah. I can like literally like, I I go with like this with my hand. Like you can't see it over a podcast, but I'm kind of just like curving my fingers and I'm like, it sounds weird, but it's like, I don't like pretend like I'm holding his hand, but I just remember what it feels like to hold his hand. And I just don't want to forget that. That's, I mean, that's, like, the worst. I think, like, memory, I already am, like, oh, wait, I feel like I don't have a good memory, and I feel like I'm forgetting things, and I feel like time is passing, and it's so scary, and, like, I think that grief makes that, like, so much more acute. Yeah. It's weird, because we talk so much, but sometimes I, I, I'm, like, I, I forget how he would say something, like, what he sounded like, even though we spent most of our relationship it's talking. Honestly- I like don't think like I when I'm like it always I always think about him it always comes when I'm falling asleep or when I'm like trying to meditate or something you know you shake your head trying to get a thought out of your head like I just can't think about him any like or right now this like time in my life like during the day usually it's fine but at night if I'm lying in bed like I just can't think about him and I often don't or I don't allow myself to go down that path but then like things will like I was in class in section and um, the, the the TA was talking about how, oh, how do you read? Like how, what it helps you um, <clears throat> figure out like the text that you're reading. And one person was like, well, usually I'll call one of my parents, whichever one is, you know, wouldn't be more interested in whatever I'm reading about and talk to them about it and tell them about it because they'll find it interesting. And like the only person that I would ever do that with was my dad. Like if I try to call Carter and I'm like, or mom, and I'm like, do you want to hear about this cool reading? I mean, they'll listen, but they won't really, like, want to oh, engage. Call me. Yeah, I, yeah, that's actually true. I could call you. I, I love, I miss school, and I miss readings. I want to talk about it. Okay, I'll start calling you, because it was just, like, really hard, because I was like, oh my god, I, I loved calling dad and tell him about, telling him about my classes. I know. Like... No. I know. It's, like, it's just hard that's for me like I relate so much stuff back to him and so it's like I don't it's always kind of like 
top of mind, even when I'm like having fun, like, <laughs> um, so the Ares tour concert I went to this time was pretty like, pretty much like right near the one year anniversary of the death. But the first one I went to was right after I got home. And it's like right when Lily and I were first seeing each other and kind of like processing it. And it felt like that's when he first died for me. Like it didn't feel like he died when I was traveling. Yeah. And during the first show, the surprise song was come back be here, which is about like missing someone when you're in a long distance relationship. But it just kind of got me because, you know, the whole just like refrain, just like begging someone like come back be here felt salient in the moment um and she doesn't really repeat surprise songs a lot and that's like she's only played that song ever once before so the odds of me getting it again were like literally zero but I got it again during this show um I got come back the year again which was crazy but then she mashed it up with the song daylight so she was just singing come back the year come back the year and then she said then she started going you gotta step into the daylight and let it go just let it go and I had a mental breakdown because it felt just like really like come back here is a breakup song that or like a, just a missing someone you're in a relationship with song that I was relating to my dad and then just turning it into that just was like so like right like on the anniversary was just like like for me it's just like everything relates back to him and it just felt like like really nice but also like really sad because I was like well I can't let it go like I I I have been having a lot of trouble letting it go I think I've gotten worse at letting it go um and I don't know so it's just like a weird feeling where it's like everything leads back to it right now for me yeah I've been I don't know I don't think these friends even listen to this podcast but I have a couple friends um who really do like I feel like they really care about or not I, everyone cares I have a few friends who I feel like really like feel comfortable talking to me about the grief and you know it one thing that is hard is like no one asks you how you're doing anymore you know like no one really thinks no. about the fact that you're still grieving and um it's been hard for me to like because when I have then you know okay you have to tell people how you're feeling you can't expect them to come you know, which it would be nice, but I get it. But then when I, you know, do maybe say to my friends, like, yeah, like the grief has been really hard lately. Honestly, the responses haven't been great. Like it's been pretty like, oh, sorry. Or like, just like, and I, you know, it's really hard for people to talk about. And I understand that. Yeah. But it also just feels like, can you learn? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I get that it's like weird for people but like it's pain and pain is pain people would be so much more comfortable if I was if I told someone that Carter and I had broke up I would have like a million people rushing to my side to support me you know yeah but then I'm like talking about my dad dying and people are like so awkward <laughs> and it just kind of I don't know I'm a little I'm just a little bit fed up with it like I'm kind of at a point where I'm like I don't need to, someone to therapize me. I don't need to talk about, you know, I don't need to tell someone everything that I'm feeling. But I, I guess I just kind of want people to like ask me questions, ask me about him, you know, engage with me. Yeah. I think that's like weirdly, like it's that's been something nice about traveling because part of it's really hard because I don't have like my support system, but also part of it's okay, this sounds weird, but whenever I say my dad died in the past year, 
people are very like, oh my God. And they like, a lot of times they'll ask like what happened or they'll ask about him or they'll ask about our relationship, which is nice. Cause I like, people might think it's kind of traumatizing to have to relive it every time. But in reality, like it's my daily life. Like it's what I'm always thinking about. So being able to talk about it, mm-hmm. like it's like a new thing and like people aren't just bored of it is actually right, really people nice. Become, people become numb to it. But then it's now not, it's not like it happened this year. It happened last year. So I feel like the response I'm going to get when I say, oh, my dad died in the past year. Like I feel like the response is going to be different now because people are just going to be like, oh, you know, when someone's, someone died a long time ago, it's not like the same, like, oh my God, like, want to talk about it? Are you okay? Um, but that's hard. And I just think, I don't know. It's weird because I'm like moving around my daily life. And it's not like I'm thinking about it every second of the day, but then I do think about it. I'll be with my friends. I'll be having a good time. And then suddenly I'll feel like really angry at them. That they're just like, they don't, that they're just like having a good time with their lives and my dad's dad. And why aren't they angry and sad too, which isn't how it works. And it's irrational. And so I would never express that to them. But sometimes I'm like, everyone shut the fuck up and stop laughing. My dad is dead. And you guys should all be sitting solemnly. Why aren't we listening to Please Stay by Lucy Dacus? Like... Why aren't we <laughs> like open yeah, your eyes, people? Open your eyes, sheeple. Um, yeah. And this actually <laughs> relates to the thing that I wrote, which is again like embarrassing. But um so I wrote it on February twenty-third, but time differences are weird. And we found out we he died. Went... We found out he died on the twenty-first, I think. Yeah, but I'm more found out that he died on the 22nd because of time differences. So I think this is written like, like, yeah, February 24th at 5.31 a.m. That's Australian time. So this would have been like, yeah, like when I was laying on the floor of the Singapore airport, like the night after I found, the night I found out he died. Anyway, I was getting really kind of whatever don't judge my poetry skills i'm not a poet i was just a girl whose dad had just died okay like let me feel my feelings okay i want time to stop moving i want to live in the hour day week after my dad died i want to bask in the tragedy and the sadness i want to get a burn that with careful application of the soothing words of strangers and the warm recollections of loved ones turns into a golden tan of grief. I want the lines to show a dark contrast on my skin. I want to be able to say, my dad died an hour, a day, a week ago, and have strangers gasp and fawn with the horror of it all. I want my friends and family walking on eggshells, murmuring platitudes of whatever you need until I fall asleep. My grief was once too premature an overripe banana. How can you warn what's still living? In the hours, days, weeks after his death, it's just right. I can consume the banana delectably. Let the masses nod and hum at my gluttony as I inhale the fruit and the peel and the room and everyone inside it too. In a few hours, a few days, a few weeks, it will be overripe. The girl with the dead dad is a sad story, but it's an anecdote like any other. I will no longer be a monkey they can gather around to watch her eat her sorrow in the way they want, all ripe and fresh and yellow. 
The thing will be shriveled and rotten and brown. No one likes the color brown. It's not aesthetic. Also, guys, I wrote this before. Brown was really it. Everyone wants to comfort and stroke and carefully peer through the glass at the girl whose dad had just died. In a couple weeks, they'll have a new tragedy to pay admission to, sending their condolences and Googling blank obituary cause of death. And I'll just say here in my enclosure, staring at a banana no one cares to look at anymore as it decomposes and the scent finally hits me. Everyone has moved on to the next exhibition, but I'm still behind the glass. No audience to witness me as I finally gag with the sorrow. Okay, metaphor. Okay, so metaphor. <laughs> okay. Oh, we both. That's funny. That was, yeah. Anyway, so that was like extremely dramatic. But actually, I feel like I completely 100% predicted how I'd feel. And <laughs> you know yourself too? Well, I think I literally wrote this probably like 12 hours after I found out. But like, I very quickly realized like what this would look like. Yeah, just the idea that like grief, it's like, the condolences and the ways that other people like grieve with you it does feel like kind of the sun is shining upon you not like in a positive way but it's something that like you know it's like a tan like it, it like it leaves you a tan like you feel like it you feel covered with it and you feel like it lingers for a while and then but then over time it just fades and then you're just like well that's kind of the last thing that you have like the person's dead, the last thing that you have is kind of like the glow of grief, and then everyone the else aura. just kind of or the gets aura over of it. grief. Yeah, like the or yeah, and then everyone else just gets over it, and then if you're still in it, it's just hysterical. You know. Yeah, it's like I also I it's hard for me to have perspective. Like I'm like, how much should I be? Yeah, like, cause people, if I talk to people, they're always like, well, there's no limit and there's no time, whatever. So I try to think like, okay, so if my friend was in the same situation, how would I, what, how would I be perceiving her? How would I be judging her? Because I'm like, I don't, and I don't know. And I know that I do care too much. I think that it's hard when you have like, you know, like I have like OCD and anxiety and like stuff where it's hard for me to trust my judgment. I'm also like, I've always been seen as like over emotional. So it's hard for people like us to like, know when we are being dramatic when we're being you know over the top when we should move on when we or when we're justified and like it's hard to feel justified in your emotions when you've always kind of I don't know been over emotional so it's really hard for me to not care how others perceive me because that's how I know if I'm justified or not or that's how I feel validated like I don't know how Cause like right after my dad died, I kind of was like, I just like kept going and I kept going to class and I kept doing everything. And like, yeah, that's when you were traveling. Yeah. Like I, didn't I just have a like, break. really so like, like well. just didn't like, I don't know. And it, it really didn't debilitate me, but I don't know. It's just like, it, it's debilitating in very subtle ways, I guess. Yeah. yeah it just makes me feel angry all the time yeah i don't know i'm just like kind of dreading going home even though i'm excited for it in a way just in the sense that um when i'm traveling i feel like i have something i'm doing all the time so it's a distraction and then when i'm home i keep getting into these like ever since dad died i was home during the summer i was home during winter break 
I guess I'm I'm no longer a student. It's not a winter break. I was just home for the holidays. But I just really kind of fell into this slump. And I think, I don't know, it's very like Noah Khan view between villages where you're just kind of like, feel really surrounded by like grief and memories and loss. And it makes it harder for you to kind of like find excitement and like do new things. Like there's no new things on Old Chester Road and Bethesda for me. There's just things that have happened. And that's hard to like perpetually existed. That's why like- And that's why you're going to move out. (laughs) Well, yeah, but it's also, I'm really excited to like have a job that'll give me something to do and I'll be new. And yeah, I mean, like eventually, like I love home. I love my house. Um, And so it's not that like being there makes me sad. I just feel like I need some new, something new. I need like a venture. I need something that isn't like, you know, related to other stuff that's happened in order for me to kind of like have something I can separate from all of the complicated feelings. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the second thing that I want to read is from Sula by Toni Morrison. Um, Literally one of the best books I've ever read, just finished it. And there was like just a few lines that I really spoke to me about grief. I'm going to skip over a few parts. So for everyone reading along, Don't get mad at me. Um, Yeah. Good taste was out of place in the company of death. Death itself was the essence of bad taste. And there must be much rage and saliva in its presence. The body must move and throw itself about. The eyes must roll. The hands should have no peace. And the throat should release all the yearning, despair, and outrage that accompany the stupidity of loss. Hell ain't things lasting forever. Hell is change. Not only did men leave and children grow up and die, but even the misery didn't last. One day she wouldn't even have that. This very grief that had twisted her into a curve on the floor and flayed her would be gone. She would lose that too. Um, And I just thought like the idea of losing your grief, losing that like acute, like horror of an event that had just happened is just like super poignant just because there's something almost soothing about that that level of emotion um it kind of like feels similar to like really intense sadness versus depression like the numbness of depression because now that that acute grief is over it's really just like the absence yeah i think like you know literally the days after he died i felt crazy but it was like a freeing kind of crazy it's like, it's like a manic it's where a manic. it's like yeah like i would let myself write insane like cheesy tumblr poetry in my notes app which i've i've i was i've not like that's not something i do or i'd let myself go in in cambodia you have to pay five dollars to sing a karaoke song but I would let myself like go up to the bartender and be like, my dad died yesterday. Can I just sing one of his favorite songs for free? I don't have any money. And they're like, oh yeah, of course. Like I felt like I could just like do stuff and it made sense, even if it didn't actually make sense because I was like in a part of grief that felt acceptable for me to be like doing weird grief things. 
and it no longer like feels correct even if the feelings are still there and so I think like the feelings are like the last thing I have so when those go away even though like it sucks to feel intense grief like when I no longer feel it intensely I think that will be also sad well because it then you've kind of lost the person like your last connection to the person is like that feeling and I don't know if this like is relatable to anyone else but when there's like a lot of really awful things going on right now in the world like for example like there's like you know there's a genocide happening in the world yeah um it's that's a really especially you know I I make sure that I'm very tuned in to what's going on and it I think like as as Anna says like we have a responsibility to bear witness um to what's going on and I think because you know I I'm consuming so much of this media um you know when my mind inevitably when I'm going about my life drifts towards my dad um and then I'm also like I'm I'm also consumed with what's going on in Gaza I think and this feels like a weird thing to say but I it's like it's just like that I mean it's just like awful things happening to people in general and when you hear about people losing their entire families it's like really it feels so self-indulgent and so stupid and so trivial to be sad about what I'm sad about um and it feels like the human like people die all the time people lose their whole families I didn't rely on my dad for anything substantial what like what do I even really have to be sad about and it's like no amount of like my therapist validating me can like help me shake this like shame and like weird guilt that I feel for feeling grief because my grief and I, obviously there's no hierarchy of trauma, but like, yeah, there is. <laughs> yeah. My, fa- my favorite text of all time is there's, there's no hierarchy, hierarchy of suffering, but maybe there should be. No, maybe there um, should be. <laughs> that's my favorite tweet of all funny, time. Like, I'll, I'll put it in is, the Instagram dump. It is funny and it's all relative, but like, it is funny because like, there are things that are worse. And then like in that situation, like obviously like people's traumas are like, for example, like in the middle ages, when your child died, it was like, Yeah. Like, that's why you have 15 kids, because, like, half of yeah. them are going to die by, before they turn one. So, like, obviously things are relative, and that's an extreme example. But it's just, like, I don't know. It's just, like, something that I think about a lot. Something that I found really interesting is how people are able to, like, there's a certain amount of grief that people can no longer conceptualize because I think like I've, like most people, most people have a dad. So then they're like, oh, my dad, I say, oh, my dad died. They think, oh, what would I do if my dad died? That is, they can think about that and kind of imagine. I mean, like you don't want to, but you can imagine. Mm-hmm. I think when you're faced with what's, when you're like an entire family of 36 people are wiped out, except for like one child who's not orphaned, like one dad who's like left with all of his kids. That's like almost impossible to fathom like you just can't even like for me it's like but like I'm like I can't even like put myself in that position like I don't I can't even like fathom what that is um so I think it's like I have that same guilt of like trying to be like oh well it could be this but then I can't even imagine what that could be and then I also see people who are like oh my god I'm so sorry for what happened to your dad that's so terrible 
and like I love my dad he wasn't a perfect person it's not like he did everything right in his life but they were able to be like that he meant a lot to you and like that shouldn't happen to anyone and then some of those people are people whose response to what's happening in Gaza is like oh I don't care those people have done bad things for which obviously not all most of those people have done bad things just an editor's note I know it sounds like I say most of these people have done bad things. I meant to say haven't. I was just talking really fast. Just to clarify, I was saying most Palestinians haven't done anything wrong. Even if people have done bad things, you can look at my dad, who's done bad things, and say, that's still terrible for your loss, and I'm really sorry, and no one deserves to die that way. And I know that when we a while ago we talked on the podcast about how we talk about this a lot on our own social media, so this won't necessarily be the focus of the podcast because it's a more individual grief. But I think witnessing grief on such a mass scale has like both put it into context for me and made it even more like inconsistent and unfathomable, both how other people process their grief and how other people react to other people's grief. And sometimes I feel like I'm a hypocrite, but then there, there's also a lot of other hypocrites and it's just one of those things that... I honestly don't like the word hypocrite. I'm kind of done with the whole hypocrite thing. Because, like, we often get mad at other people for doing things that we would do, too. Like, or that we have done in the past. I don't think... I think that being like, oh, well, maybe I'm a hypocrite is, like... I don't think we need to think okay, about that Okay, that's fair. <laughs> I don't think I'm necessarily a hypocrite. I think other people are hypocrites yes. for saying, that's really sad that your dad died. But all those people in Gaza deserve it. Because they I don't have, that. because they only see the humanity. And I know this isn't a political podcast, but like, we're talking about grief and we're like, so many people are grieving right now. Um, and it's not, it's not natural. Not that suicide is natural, but you know, what's happening right now is, is, is an entire group of people completely dehumanized and people are not seeing their grief as, as real or empathizing with it because they see them as subhuman. And that's just like, yeah, it makes me, and it like, just makes me sick. And that's when Anna was talking about how um, you can't fathom it. It's like, she's right. Like I can't, when I, when I hear these stories and when I see these images, really all that I feel is this like intense feeling of nausea because that's really all my body can process when I'm trying to like fathom what, like what the human costs of this are. Yeah, I mean, I think it's weird because we're raised talking about the Holocaust as Jews. And I think that is like a mass grief event. The trauma and the grief of it like still lives with all of us today. Like I go to Auschwitz and I'm like this, I feel the grief. I feel the trauma. Like this is my people. Like this is, it's like, this is going to this. It's something that will live with the Jews forever. Like there's been so many mass trauma events for Jewish people that we still talk about today, that we still grieve, even though some of them were thousands of years ago. And when you're witnessing one on that scale, it's like the grief of everyone who's immediately losing family, the grief of the world watching. And then it's like the grief that will forever impact generations. And grief does go generationally. Like I grieve for my dad's dad, who if he mm. hadn't killed himself, maybe everything would have been different. Or his mom's mm. mom, who if she hadn't died of cancer, everything definitely would have been different. Like, I think like generational grief, whether it's on a small scale or a large scale is something that we don't talk about while things are happening, but it's something that 
as a Jew who's experienced the genocide, I mean, not experienced the genocide, but as a Jew, are people have experienced the genocide. After, you've seen the after effects of a genocide. You've seen the aftermath. And as and watching it happen is horrifying. And then I also start thinking about what after could possibly look like. And you're not, you know, quote unquote, only hurting the 2.2 million people in Gaza. It's like, there's going to be so many millions and millions of people it will forever touch. And like, you know, in the smaller scale of like people, like our kids won't know our dad, but it will touch them too. Like this will forever be something. And so I know, and I hope that people don't think we're trying to like compare us losing our dad to like a genocide in Gaza, but just talking about how grief functions, whether it's on a small scale or a large scale, that's something that's always on my mind. And it's just hard to talk about because you don't want to seem like you're like minimizing anything. Yeah. But I think this has just given me a specific lens to view it through that lets me like fathom it in my own small way because it's just like something that's unfathomable. Yeah. And it's just like, it's, I think it's just like a natural, I feel like it's something that is, can be really embarrassing to talk about, but like, I don't know, for example, when I was like helping to organize, like, um, organize, you know, with a group of Jews who are calling for a ceasefire and I was whatever, sometimes I'd be dealing with stuff with my dad or dealing with something related to that. And I remember just being like, why am I feeling like this when there's a genocide going on? And you could say that about a million things, but I, I think that's why I like felt like I wanted to bring it up because it's just like a really icky feeling that I think a lot of people have, no matter what it is, like when there's really awful things going on in the world. Um, and then you have like whatever's going on with you. It's just like a weird thing to have to like, or not to have to, it's a weird thing to come to terms with and to like figure out how much, how much grace can I give myself? How much grace do I do? Mm -hmm. and, and, and I don't, it's not like who's deserving, but it, I don't know. It's one of those things where like, there's not a lot of easy answers, I guess, because I don't think it's, you know, people are like, yeah, but like, that doesn't mean that your thing is any less. I mean, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't take away from my grief, of course. <clears throat> But it puts but it in like, context. Yeah, it gives it context. I don't know. I just, I I think it's a natural thing to like, if there's something really bad to, you know, feel like this feeling that I have. And I'm. it's not about, yeah, this podcast is about us in general. So I'm not trying to make anything about us because obviously like, <laughs> you know, it's all within the context. Uh, okay, also one other thing. We still haven't done anything with our dad's ashes. <laughs> Yeah. Which makes me feel I, like a shitty person. <laughs> I have some things that I want to do when I'm home, maybe. But I was, did mom tell you what I said? The Jefferson Memorial. Yeah, that you just go just yeah. like a little tiny bit. Yeah, I think just, that's just to I'll like commemorate that. it. Yeah, I would like to do that tomorrow. And then I'm making mom take us to, mom was like, what's dad's favorite food? Like, what did dad love? And I'm like, dad liked Ben and Jerry's ice cream and like, <laughs> I mean, he liked Indian food. He liked Thai food. But, like, dad just ate. Like, he wasn't, like, exactly a foodie. Yeah. No, he wasn't. So where are you going? So. so we're going to um, Raku Gok. It's the new, it's the new like, Raku um, spinoff. Okay. Well, it's not, like, whatever. But they have really good matcha soft serve. So I'm really excited. 
Um, so yeah, tomorrow I'm just gonna, yeah, we're gonna go to the Jefferson Memorial, scatter a little bit of my dad's ashes. <laughs> we know Jefferson is problematic. I don't want to hear about it. I know. I Yeah, this is not a, this is I not sent, about Jefferson. This yeah. is about like a place that my dad loved. So just, we can yeah. just I sent, leave that I alone. I sent my dad <laughs> passages about, um, I sent my dad, we, we both, he, he gets it. Yeah, I made him read Stamp from the beginning, and that pissed him off. But you know, <laughs> Hamilton also pissed him off. I literally was too mean to Jefferson. Do our Hamilton episode? Okay, anyway. Well, our Hamilton episode is going to be like a like a whole thing. So we have to like. I feel like we that's going to be, be a lot of effort. Them. Yeah, that's going to be like a yeah. multi partner. That's going to be a from yeah, the songs, from the history, from. The... <laughs> and I at the end, Anna and I will do an entire um, rendition <laughs> of Burn, um, and there will be a um, choreographed aspect. But that's why we're going to make a Patreon so that you can gain yeah. access to our choreographed dance routines. Of course, and our we will be burning one, letters. Yeah, we will be burning letters. Um, we Harry will um, act as Hamilton just for the for the sake of it, and. Um, and then we're going to do a rendition of Who Lives, Who Dies, Who Tells Your Story, but, like, make it change the lyrics so it makes sense for my dad. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we'll also just be doing very unrelated performances. For example, For Good from Wicked. Um, they've asked us to promo it because Anna and I are, are like, known. Yeah, because that trailer didn't look very good. International, and right. we have had... And we've had a choreographed version of For Good from Wicked where we do, like, the duet with the proper parts since we were probably, like, six or seven. And if it's not obvious... Anna is Glinda. Glinda. I am Alphaba. I feel like that doesn't. Well, yes. Sad. I feel like that yes, doesn't make sad. But in case no, anyone was no wondering, one, since Alphaba's no the gay one, that. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so and Glinda's like, and Glinda's like, and Glinda's like the, 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 the slightly queer quoted one, but no one's really sure what's up with her. <laughs> and because we see the lens, we see everything through a lens of sexuality because we are Gen Z women, and that's, that's we're making wicked woke. <laughs> I like that's actually no. making wicked woke wicked's already pretty woke it's like mm-hmm. racism animal rights those poor flying monkeys or we know she like saves them yeah. okay anyway okay well this i feel like we fun. talked about a lot <laughs> we covered all the bases we, cried, we laughed we got political what <laughs> that's like a very that's a very quirk sister. No like, one's surprised. About yes. Um, but we'll see you guys sooner than last time. I promise. I yes, promise. we promise. We promise. And we um, love you guys. We love you guys. SI9, everybody knows making S, making butterflies with you, making a real butterfly with you. 49 E L tic tac toe hippopotamus. Love you. Love you. Bye.